Welcome to season two of the Queer Soul Spotlight, a kind corner of the internet where you can leave your troubles at the door and bring your truest self to the table. I'm Jenny, creative photographer and collector of stories. Each week I sit down with a queer guest and they share their story to celebrate that there are infinite ways to be queer. Whether you're queer yourself, ready to learn, or simply need a couple of friends for the next hour or so, I'm so grateful you're here. Welcome, Cordelia. Hi. I'm so excited to talk to you. I have been looking forward to this all week. I'm so excited to be here. That's so nice. Here being like your house and my house and the internet and we're here. (laughs) We're all here together and welcome everyone listening in. Thank you for coming back for another week. Um, For those of you who don't uh, know Cordelia, uh, Cordelia, can you give us a little intro to like you, your pronouns, how you identify, how we know each other, like what is happening? How did you come to be here? Yeah, of course. Uh, So my name is Cordelia Larson. My pronouns are they, them. And I am a non-binary Asian American actor uh, living in the South Bay. Uh, And I was very fortunate to meet Jenny uh, at an audition for a show we ended up both being cast in, a little something called Next to Normal. Same Uh, role. Woohoo, Henry's together. The only thing better than one non-binary Henry is two non-binary Henry's, and I was so pleased. I'm honestly so excited about that. It makes it so much better taking a role, knowing that you have someone who understands you and is similar to you and (laughs) just, you know, gets it, you know, a little trademark sticker next to it. Totally. Oh, I was so worried that, like, things, like, if it was me and one of the cis guys that was called back or you and one of the cis guys that was called Mm -hmm. back that like the staging would be different or like the vibes would be different. Like it wouldn't be the same. And like, even though you and I are different, like it's coming from the same angle and the like coolness of like, wow, we, this is a non-binary character now. Like the different added things are going to be the same in both casts. Mm-hmm. The nuances get to be more focused on us instead of, oh, how do we take the cis heteronormative role and break it for your adaptation and right, your right. version of this? Nope, it just gets to be hella different for both of us. Huzzah. Uh, so fun. Um, let's see. How, what, like, when did you first start your coming out process to yourself and, like, also everyone? Like, what were, cause like for me, like I did the bi to gay to queer to non-binary and queer, like what were, what were your little stepping stones to where you are right now? So I was really lucky to be raised in a family of theater people. So the queer community was never far out of reach for me. It wasn't, it wasn't something that I had to go and find for myself, which is a huge, huge blessing that I know a lot of people don't have. Um, So from a very young age, I knew that at least sexuality-wise, I was different. I had crushes on anyone and everyone, and it did not really seem to have, like, a constant criteria. And I didn't really know what that meant for me. Um, My actual coming out, the first (laughs) part one of coming out, um, was to my mom in a Victoria's Secret of all places. Yeah, I I mean, look, boobs everywhere, and you're like, look... I was 14 and I was telling her about my latest crush at school and I at some point dropped she pronouns and my mom just like stopped she didn't like do anything drastic but she just kind of had this look of like did I hear that right and I went oh right you know I'm bisexual right that was literally how I came out to hi sorry did I not loop you in on this earlier (laughs) my bad my parents have both said at different points that they just kind of assumed I was gay. So the fact that I like men is actually the more interesting part of it to them. That was the coming out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, yeah I actually am into dudes and they're like, aw, oh, sad. Yeah. <laughs> they were like curious. Didn't see that coming. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which like <laughs> makes sense, but good on them for the inclusivity on that. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so I didn't realize that my gender was, a thing um, until I was an adult and I'd moved to New York City and um, I actually sat down with some friends from high school who were you know one of them was visiting and we all went out to go do a 
uh, go see a comedy show together. And I was wearing one of my roommate's sweaters that was like this nice, pretty teal blue thing. And one of them commented on it uh, later that night and said, oh, like, that's a really pretty outfit you're wearing. I said, thanks, my roommate dressed me. She likes to dress me like a girl. And they stopped. And they meant this totally innocently. But they said, do you want to dress like a girl? And it turned into this three-hour-long conversation about, let's deep dive that comment for you real quick, kid. Oh, boy. Both of them are, uh, they were seniors when I was a freshman. So they kind of, they both admitted, they were like, we kind of saw like (laughs) baby queer and kind of adopted you in. And this has just turned into a lifelong friendship. But we all kind of knew there was something else going on there. And they were very happy to help me along on that journey. At the end of it, I kind of extra spice. Yeah, at the end of it, it was just kind of like, oh, haha, shocker, I am not a girl. That's why this feels weird. <laughs> yeah, you said, like, she likes to dress me like a girl. And I'm like, I, I'd be like, are you not a girl? Like, are you, yeah, you're dressed like a girl because you're a girl, right? Like, what? what? <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. Which I think part of it, too, is um, I was not diagnosed as autistic until I was 22 years old. And certain comments like that throughout my life, I would say, and it doesn't, it wouldn't click to me or resonate in the way that it does for the people hearing them of like, hey, maybe that statement should stick out to you as something's different here. Yeah. Um, Maybe this is something to analyze a little bit further. Uh, That's so interesting. Yeah. And like, I'm so excited that you you even got some bonus years on me in your diagnosis. I didn't get diagnosed till I was 25. Oof. And like, what was that process? Like, when did you first start thinking like, mm, like what flags were there for you that perhaps you were operating on different software and that was something that you wanted to pursue? That's how I always say it. It's like, you know, like there's a bunch of different computers and and they all work just fine. They all have internet they all have you know a word sort of writing application they all work the same but the internal software is different and so depending on what you're trying to do it's, it's possible still to do all the different things you would do on a computer but mm-hmm. the internal software is different and you need to know that um mm-hmm. that's always how I explain any sort of neurodivergence um but anyway tell me tell me um <laughs> so the first time I, it was ever suggested to me that I might be autistic was actually my aunt, my auntie Jaina, just in case she decides to give this a listen. I love you. And this is me finally admitting you were right. Um, I, I was <laughs> Just do a little voice her. memo, auntie Jaina. Do a little voice yeah. memo and record that so you can play it whenever you need to hear it. Oh, yeah, because you will hold that over me forever. Love you. Um, <laughs> I was visiting her in upstate New York when I was 16 and... We had two weeks together, and it was the most time I'd ever spent with my aunt. I'd never been to uh, New York before either, so it was a whole bunch of new things. Um, But she uh, worked with special needs kids in education for the majority of her career. Um, Also, she has two kids of her own, and my oldest cousin, Thomas, is also autistic. And so after, like, 10 days with me, she just looks at me and goes, you know, kid, I think you're autistic, like just out of nowhere like it it was totally out of left field um and I at the time you know got so offended and so open arms I was like you can't just say that to me I'm texting my mom I'm like that's not something that you can just like say to a person like so offensive and like obviously like you're not a little boy who doesn't talk and is into like hardcore math and science and like as a savant so like that's a super weird thing to say to you because that's what autism is right like exactly especially when you look at my cousin who now I understand the nuances the nuances of his um diagnosis and his particular brain patterns a little bit better now that we're adults but when I was a kid he was my quiet cousin Thomas that you know didn't talk to me and could read faster than a computer could practically and you know was super intelligent and quiet and reserved and that was him and that's how it presented for him and so for the conclusion to be drawn that I too was autistic when I was nothing like my cousin that math isn't mathing it it didn't work for me my brain went burr um (laughs) that's that that is always what I say when my brain decides to like that that doesn't process just bring a burr um so it did did not add up to me no. Uh, of course she was correct. <laughs> Go figure. The person that works with uh, neurodivergent youth for a living was correct in the <clears throat> preliminary assumption there. 
but it was not until college when another friend of mine who was autistic himself approached me and said, you know, after knowing you for the last year, um, I think you might be autistic like me. And I was like, what? No, impossible. Impossible. Yeah. I was like, that's not, that's not a thing. Uh, and I, I, I was about to move back to California at that point and I tried not to like take it to heart. It was just like, you know, take it with a grain of salt kind of thing. Um, until I finally did get back here and then the world shut down and it was just me and my mother and my bonus dad and my grandmother in a house. Yeah. In other words, me and my room a lot. So I started deep diving on Instagram and, um, on Tumblr a little bit. Yes, regrettably, I did <laughs> go back into Tumblr in 2020 Tumblr. because I did not have much else to do. Oh, man. Uh, and I started seeing posts in the actually autistic community that made a lot more sense to me than I was expecting or even necessarily comfortable with. Yeah, um, it gets spooky. Because it really it's, it's there's weird things that have happened in your life that you know you are the only person that has ever experienced this. And then suddenly people are like blogging about it. And it's very it's much like, where are the cameras? Have you been stalking me? Turns out it's it's just autism. <laughs> right? Yo, honestly, it's a it's a very humbling feeling. It's like, no, no, we don't have magical girl energy here. We you're just I you're autistic. Really thought I was magic. Yo, oh my god. Because I could like if I focused correctly, I would just sit. I'm sure I looked weird as fuck. In elementary school, <laughs> I would just sit in the middle of the field and simultaneously see every individual blade of grass that was moving. If I just like hyper-focused on that. I could see every single one separately. Um, and I was like, I'm honing my magic powers. And no, no, it's, that's autism. <laughs> that's, that's the autism, honey. Um, yeah. I mean, and it, it's actually really interesting to me looking at the, the intersections of spirituality or magic, things like that, and neurodivergence, mental illness in general. Um, but in my family, uh, my, my mother is Buddhist and, and was raised uh, Jodo Shinto, uh, which is a particular subset of Japanese uh, Buddhism. And there's a lot of, of spirituality and spiritual belief in that side of the family. Um, and especially regarding like high empathic traits and different uh Claire somethings in the like clairvoyance, clairomniscience, clairaudience, things like that. Everyone, yeah. it's kind of just known that people <laughs> assigned female at birth in our family just kind of have some sort of a gift. Uh, my mom is clairomniscient as fuck, and it's so annoying. Um, she, she's what just is, the kind of, Wait, so what's the difference between clairvoyant, clairomniscient? Like, why, what is, can you, we have little definitions? So the best way that I could describe this, um, they're basically all connecting to or understanding something that other people don't Mm -hmm. it's just like a little it's an intuition type thing um and there's different ways that it can manifest so clairvoyance is the most commonly talked about and it's that's like the gift of being able to see sometimes seeing into the future sometimes seeing into the past sometimes seeing something that may be happening getting a flash of it's not even necessarily like full visions of like you can see like a camcorder we're not Um, doing that so raven here (laughs) exactly it'll be like you see the color purple and you know that your sister was wearing purple this morning. So you text and be like, Hey, are you okay right now? And it's like, Oh, I actually just spilled coffee all over my desk and I'm really frustrated right now. How'd you know? <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's little things like that. And that totally ties into the really detailed, spooky pattern recognition ahead of time that autistic mm-hmm. people, not all autistic people, but a lot of autistic people, they can see something coming from a mile away and be like, Hey, like I, this is going to happen. And people are like, no, that's crazy. And then it happens. And it's so logical to you. And everyone else is like, how did you know? And it's like, no, it just made sense. Yeah. I was like, I just put the puzzle pieces together and you didn't. mm." (laughs) Oof, puzzle pieces. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Oh, Rick. Um, yeah. But my, so my mom is clownition, which is just this, this heightened sense of knowing. And it's really like mom instinct just on hyperdrive. Yeah. Um, so she's the kind of person who will be sitting there typing on her computer, stop. And it's like, if, if she had 
you know, German Shepherd ears, they would go whoop and go like straight pointing up. And she like goes in the other room and she'll grab her phone and put it next to her. And 30 seconds later, it'll ring. And without looking at it, she doesn't have set ringtones. She picks it up and goes, hello, dear. And it'll be my, my bonus dad. And she'll be like, I just knew he was going to call right now. And it's Things just, like just, just little things like me. that. I, yeah, it's, it's just some sort of heightened sense of knowing. Yeah, no, the, um, like last month or maybe two months ago, there was, it was like an hour or so before sunset and I was in my house and Allie was at, um, at grad school, at her grad school class. And as we are, the window I could see out of was facing away from the, the impending sunset. And mm-hmm. I, I thought to myself, oh, I bet the sunset's going to be really good tonight. And I know that Allie's going to text me about it to tell me to go outside and look, mm-hmm. which has only happened twice in our entire relationship. And within 20 minutes, I had a text from her saying the exact same thing. And I was just like, <laughs> that's so amazing. It's just like, no, that's autism. It's autism yep. for you and me. Um, and it's spooky, but then like, you're just like, it, it, whether or not that's like how logical that is, it just happens sometimes. And it's it weird. Does. And it's, it, honestly, I, I think of it as our superpowers. Um, totally. And it's something that I t- try to tell, I, I'm, I'm a teacher as well, and I work with a lot of neurodivergent youth, and that's something I try to tell them about themselves, is like, hey, these these things that you can do that nobody else can do, it doesn't make you weird, it doesn't make you lesser or, or, or different or an outcast, it's your superpower, these are the things that you can do that other people just can't, and that's totally. extraordinary, that's special. And- and that's not to discount the the very real struggles that neurodivergent people have to deal with Absolutely. living in a society that is straight up not built for them. But if it weren't for that society, like if if neurodivergent, specifically like autistic people, were the majority and were the people that got to build this society, we would not be disabled at all. Mm-hmm. Because everything would just work for us the same way that neurotypicals are not disabled in that way because everything was built to accommodate them. It's just type A, type B, type C brains, which yeah. is we got we got the the world the that fits type uh-huh. A brains. Yeah. Yeah. We and got the spicy setting. Totally. Yeah. And of course if autistic people got to build everything, there would be a wide range of accommodations available for everyone and it would be super you know, the neurotypical people would be absolutely struggling because they would try to insinuate things or have subtext mm-hmm. and everyone would just be, know to take them at their word and they'd be like, but I was insinuating and everyone else would be like, don't do that. Why would you do that? <laughs> the That's same malicious. way. Why were you doing right. that? You know? so, and the way that we just say what we mean, because that's what language is for and people are like why like they read so much into it and I'm like why are you making extra work for yourself maybe I just said the words that I meant (laughs) oh my god what is um like as you've sort of grown into yourself and how old are you uh I am 24 yeah that's what I thought okay um (laughs) As you're growing into yourself, I mean, your brain's almost done cooking. That's super exciting. At 25, you're done. Dang. Um, When is, like, what's a story of, like, a moment where you really just felt so secure and at home within yourself, within your body, within your brain, that you were just like, mmm, euphoria? Honestly, I think it would be in the in the last show I did not okay not the last show so I've been in booked and blessed in a lot of shows um in the 2021 to 2022 year um I did company at Southland Musical Theater and then right before that I was in Allegiance at Palo Players and that was one of the most soul healing unifying beautiful experiences of my life um and that that sense of security and confidence and knowing who I am in so many different ways, um, in my queer identity, in my neurodivergent identity, in my ethnic identity. Um, I have never found a group of people that I felt so safe with and so at home and so recognized, not even just seen, you can see someone, but recognizing them and lifting them up for their individual 
characteristics and traits and, and gifts, that was one of the most incredible things I've ever experienced. That's so wholesome. Do you think it, I mean, it might be a combination of things, but like, do you think it was the content of the show? Do you think it was like the way they did the rehearsal process with like the actual actors and the artistic team? (laughs) I always say autistic team when I mean to say (laughs) artistic team. (laughs) We're the autistic team. Um, We are. What parts of it? Right there. I know, right? Um, What what pieces of that process for you were the most uh, empowering? Uh, first and foremost, being in a room of majority Asian American artists and creators. Vast majority, was, not even yeah. not even fifty one percent, like ninety five percent. Almost all of us. It was insane. Um, I've I've never felt so empowered and so safe in my identity, um, being surrounded by a bunch of other people that I didn't have to question do I fit in here? How do I code switch? What do I say? How do I present? How do I, nope. I am, I am in a room with people who know who I am, take me at my word for it and aren't going to question and nitpick it because of their own identities and microaggressions. Nope. I am, I am Asian American and I fit in here. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. So that was, that from the get-go was incredible. Uh, on top of it, the, the creative staff that we have, um, that we had for that show were all just Asian American as well, but worked so hard on creating an environment that was based on emotional safety yeah, and uh, making sure that it was a vulnerable space, but not before it was a safe space. So making sure we bridged those communication gaps that we knew how to draw boundaries for ourselves and respect boundaries for others that we knew how to have honest, uh, um, Point, honest, point blank communication, which yeah. that, oh, that made the autism very happy. Um, there was no <laughs> double entendres. There was no hidden meaning behind our and words. It was you have this, to take people at their word here. Totally. And it's so unfortunate that that's really rare to find in creative theater spaces. Oh my God, yes. Because especially in the, I would say maybe 35 and older generation, um, there's a really... Um, permeating culture of you need to uh give up absolutely any sort of safety you feel or any sort of boundaries you might have for the sake of the craft um which is the you know you think of when your puppy died and as soon as you start crying you get to start your monologue like it's it's there's ways to use sense memory and other techniques that isn't literally reliving trauma to get an emotional response that's appropriate for the character um that always baffled me because we did that in college like a Mm -hmm. few years ago and I just sat there and I was like so you're teaching me that this is how to act and to like emotionally abuse yourself to the point right but then you're also hoping that the end game here is I'm doing this to myself eight times a week Mm mm-hmm I How is that supposed could to be never have, first of all, I could never have enough money to pay for the therapy I would need for that. <laughs> um, and there's other ways to do it, but it's, it's taught, you know, these, these professors were raised that you have, that is the purest, best way to perform. And that's trash. Um, it, and it's oh so, God, it's, it's such a bad take. Right. Right. And it completely prevents you from any sort of healthy or sustainable acting. So I love that you got to do that. And like, and, and that was actually true. I did, was well, it on boats right before you or right after you? Uh, one or the other, but we, were, we shared a space for a second. Um, yeah. And, and that was so magical too. Just having like, I think the week before tech week, the first man entered the space. Mm-hmm. And it was the director's husband, and we were like, boo, go away. <laughs> and we love Chris. Chris is fantastic. But it was weird. And and it was, you know, like halfway through the run, um, another one of the cast members and I brought in um, vagina cupcakes. Um, that was like a joke. It was a joke um, that was made. Like Someone was like, oh, make vagina cupcakes. And we were like, okay. Like we but. made fondant, <laughs> like racial, um, like uh, – 
skin tone diversity, shape diversity. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, it, we, we did fully represented the different possibilities of vaginas and everyone was like, haha, this is funny. And then like, I was like, we have to keep them in the dressing room because some of the crew people were dudes and I didn't, it felt awesome. weird to have them in that space. Yeah, you don't want um, to the energy in. But that was so magical. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you had that experience. And I feel like Next to Normal is going to be like that too in a very like queer way. Um, yeah, especially because we do have the same director for it. So I, I Vin is a dear friend. Um, and Hi, Vin. I, <laughs> hi, Vin. Uh, and I, I, I actually really do want to thank him with Allegiance. The role that I had was um, a character named Nan Goto. And even though her name is never even said in the show, she has one of the most impactful storylines. You watch her lose a child in the show, in the camp. Um, Her her little baby uh, catches fever and they don't have aspirin to to help and the baby ends up passing away. And for people that have no idea what the fuck we're talking about, this is a play a musical. Yes. Musical. Yes. Yeah, um, about, about, uh, about, about, yeah, the internment <laughs> camp. So if, if you're like the, your, your baby went to a summer camp and died like no, <laughs> Japanese internment camps is very specific. Anyway, oh, look yes. it up. It's a beautiful show. Yes. It's a very impactful show. So my, my family was interned, which is why the, the show is one of, was on my bucket list and I want to do it again and again and again. Um, but yeah, it's, it was difficult for me because my own grandmother, who was interned uh, as a little kid, later in her life, she actually lost a child as well. So everything about this character mm. was just like an amalgamation of my grandmother's story. And she was my favorite person in the entire world. She died in November of 2020. Um, but she was my favorite person in the entire world. So it was all like to honor her memory. And Vin and I talked about this and he knew and he made sure to be like, I don't want you to go there until you have to like if you want to experiment with that that's okay but I don't want you to feel like that throughout this process you have to go to that place and hit that nerve over and over again like this is that is not necessary that is not safe for you to do and while I know it's going to be powerful when you do this also has to be emotionally stable and safe for you and sustainable because if you do that every day like by the time you get to the show you're just going to be like there's no arc to the character at all. It's just like, I'm sad because I've been marinating in trauma for the last two months. Exactly. No, 100%. Uh, and it made it, 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 it made it a much better process for me too, mentally, for the times that I actually would go to that space. Sure. Um, because it made it pointed. It made it a choice. It made it something that I was opening myself up to and looking in the eye and saying, hey, these are the feelings and thought processes and intergenerational trauma that I am taking on by choice myself in this moment. Yeah. And then I could tap out after it and, and let it set. And there wasn't the expectation of Vin being like, Whoa, that was so good. Do that every time for every scene forever. Like that. And then you're just like, Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Yeah. Any, any sort of deeply emotional, which like (laughs) next to normal, um, like, except for us, except for us, we're just like, (laughs) we just get to get stoned and like singing about, you're pretty, you're beautiful, (laughs) let's go to prom, like it's, which thank God for us, um, but thank God for Henry in the show, um, because he's, he's such a, um, he's the comic relief when you need it the most. Um, yeah. Even though it is so heartfelt and so earnest, um, we I love a himbo. Um, <laughs> love a himbo. Just pure of heart, them of ass. Love him so much. Can't wait. Yeah. Um, have you played guys before? I have played a guy once, uh, and it was when I was in high school. Um, I did a used production of Once Upon a Mattress. Oh yes, we've yeah. talked about this. Yeah, and I was I was <clears throat> it was a double cast show as many youth productions are and I was one of the Sir Harry's and my boyfriend at the time was the other Sir Harry um it was uh let's put capital letters on it not great um (laughs) (laughs) oh no but like but like in terms of you know taking away the weird drama etc um how did that make your I mean even if you didn't know you were non-binary at the time how did that make your little non-binary heart feel getting to just Honestly, like I I wish it had made me feel better and I think as part of 
I think it would have made me feel better if I was in an environment that it felt like I was cast in that role for, for more of a reason than just, mm-hmm. well, we have this role open and we need you to fill it. Like we there got was no dudes. No, there was, yeah, there was nothing about gender identity to it. It was, they were actually casting me as that because um, my boyfriend at the time, his family was my ride to and from this theater group because they were far oh. enough away that I could Well, the get same there. rehearsals. Yeah. So they, they literally just cast me there because they were like, well, that way you guys have the same rehearsal schedule, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So it felt very forced and it didn't feel like they actually wanted me there. The character was extremely cartoonishly hypermasculine, which was something I didn't know how to approach in yeah. any way, shape or form, because I don't really have many hypermasculine figures in my life in general. Thank goodness. Um, yeah, <laughs> may, I mean, may everyone have that experience, right? I mean, I'm not going to say that the men in my life don't got some toxic masculinity to sort out for themselves, but you know, they're, they're not over it here could being be like, worse. yeah, yeah, they're not like, look at these muscles and bow, you know, that's not, that's not their vibe. Oh, that's no. not their vibe. No. Yeah. All the men in my family are very, um, soft in the best way. Yeah. We like, honestly, like, championing, championing soft men. Yeah. I like that. The best kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so many of my very, very best friends are are also soft men and I love that yeah cinnamon well men I just love them um (laughs) yeah no I mean and I've told you this before like uh by the time I was 14 I think I'd played guys equally if not more than I'd played girls mainly because none of the boys in children's theater their voices (laughs) had not broken yet uh and so I could sing lower than all of them um but in hindsight I mean anytime I got to play a guy, I mean, my little heart was so happy and it went beyond the, like, I get to wear flat shoes and comfortable clothes, which like was a huge, you know, that's autism. That's autism. I'm so excited. I'm like for next normal. I'm like, I'm going to wear my own sneakers. I'm going to wear my, like, I'm just going to talk to the costumer and be like, here's my clothes. What would you (laughs) like me to wear? Just let me know. Like, I'll just bring in my own shit. Um, but there was something sparkly in that experience of getting to do you hear my son yelling i can't mom, hear it it's mom. so cute you, you all know everyone listening that he sometimes likes to uh be the other guest on this podcast so <laughs> it's fine he's fine he's just very dramatic um but there was something sparkly about those experiences where i didn't have to uh censor or edit down to the way that I stood to make it more girly, I always was putting that on for mm-hmm. roles, for life. In fact, I got to lean the other direction and take up space in a world that I was very much taught to make myself smaller and cute and little and girly. I got to, I mean, just getting to take up space and talk down here and get to really own whoever I got to become was really and not be apologetic for for anything anything yeah and and that was what was really cool about you know men on boats I haven't played a dude in a long time and I got to do men on boats and be like a whole American explorer and like that <laughs> was so cool and and then uh you know with next to normal um for people that don't know, um, Next to Normal has always been on my list because there are very few shows that have people in high school in them, which is the age I appear to be. Um, <laughs> and and there's the daughter, which I, you know, <laughs> was taught that that was the only role out of the two, three high schoolers that I would be because obviously mm-hmm. there's only one girl. Um, and, but when I saw that it was Vin, I was like, oh, I'm a bit of an obvious choice a non-Vin choice because I knew Vin was trying to really diversify and, and make, because this is one of those shows that like it is almost exclusively cis white people. Oh yeah. For no reason. It's much, much like I always hate to bring it up, but like into the woods, Mm -hmm. no character in into the woods is required to be white. 
they most of them have lovely magical things happen in their world that are not real so who cares if they are white um or cis or able-bodied or anything um and yet it's every freaking production <laughs> every freaking production of into the woods is all white people um and so I knew Vin was trying to do, you know, the most intersectionally diverse next to normal ever mm-hmm. for all the people that are dying to do amazing work like this. But because of because silly people have decided that because the entire Broadway cast was white and able-bodied and cisgender that every other cast should also be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, okay, I guess I'm not really gonna, I mean, I'll still go in for Natalie, but like, I don't think given the opportunity to cast someone who does not look like me, <laughs> I don't think Vin would pick me. Um, and and so I messaged him and I was like, hey, like, would you consider calling me back for Henry? And and he was like, oh, actually, I would love that. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool, okay, cool. Um, and And that opened my eyes to so many more opportunities where I'm looking at other shows with high schoolers and them now being like, who else could I even play? Cause I've always that. limited myself to, I was only ever going to play boys in children's theater. Mm-hmm. And that's so not the case anymore. Like I want to be the resident gender swapping actor person in the, the South Bay be like, Oh, you want to, you want to fuck some gender shit up? Hi, I'm available. Right? No, hundred percent. Like I, I, this is something that I didn't recognize until my twenties, looking back at being a kid raised in in theater, Mm -hmm. all of the roles that I really wanted to play, whether I would let myself admit it or not, were usually the guys. Uh, One of my favorite shows, one of my family's favorite shows is Pippin. And I always wanted to be in it. I always wanted to be in Pippin. And I was looking at this and I was like, but I don't want to be Catherine. There's nothing in me that wants to be her. I was like, I want, and I, I, for a while I was like, I want to be Pippin. I realize I want to be the leading player. I want to be an androgynous, fantasized character of, of, of this maliciousness that has a candy coating and sweet exterior and is luring you into something. Like, I love that vibe. I, I love being able to play with the presentation. The MC in Cabaret, it doesn't have to be defined. It doesn't uh, have to be cut it and doesn't, dry about it. My, my dear friend River, who um, I think is the second or third episode of this podcast back in season one, um, has this magical future plan of producing somewhere in the Bay Area a production of Cabaret where the actors that play uh, Sally Bowles and the MC perform the roles in rep. Um, and one or neither of them uh, will be cis. And the fact that they mirror each other in so many ways and the fact yeah. that the story can be changed so much depending on the way that the MC is, the way that Sally is. Um, and I basically was like, if you dare to put this on without me, <laughs> <laughs> I will kill you. Um, love you, River. Um, but like you, I want to get you in on this too because I think oh, that would no, be so badass. Would love. Ah, Amazing. It's literally not my place to do that, but I have preemptively also <laughs> cast you. Um, amazing. Uh, what, tell me, tell me like, I'm going to combine two of these little questions. Um, I want you to think of some advice to give to maybe some little queer baby beans who are in the beginnings of their, you know, figuring themselves out, but also seeing it through the lens of like, mental health, self-care, self-love, sustainable practices. Um, What would you say maybe to little you or someone who's listening who is where you were maybe five, ten years ago? There was this great quote that I read, and I, oh, God, I wish I could figure out what the actual sourcing is on it, but it's an idea that stuck with me, that when you have a plant and you put it in the soil and it doesn't grow, you don't blame the plant, you blame the surroundings. Totally. If you are planted somewhere and you are not blossoming, you are not thriving, it is not your fault. You are not in the proper surroundings. You are not in a place where you are getting enough sunshine, enough water, enough nutrients, enough love. It is nothing to do with you. It is 
where you are. Yeah. And you have the ability to, to some extent, it's hard when you're younger. There's a lot of factors that are not in your control. I mean, where do you go but, when you're eight and you're like, yeah, I right? gotta go. Yeah. But as you um, grow. But having that knowledge to even hang on to that your current surroundings, your current circumstances do not have to be life-defining. They don't have to be permanent. They don't have to be something you're hung up on of this is the way I have to be and this is the circumstances I was born into and have to shape myself to no it's just that your beautiful garden is not here yet you're gonna find it you're gonna find where to plant yourself and where you belong and where you can flourish it just it might not be this exact space and that was that was a huge problem for me as a kid is that I always wanted to race to the end I always wanted to figure out what the fairy tale ending chapter was I wanted to to see the light at the end of the tunnel and say, that's it. That's where I know I belong. And that's where I know that this is right. And that's where I know that this is correct. I wish that I had someone to give me a little bit more patience and a little bit more kindness to myself to breathe in and take in the experiences around me where I was yeah. and, and take them for what they are growing and, and learning and experimenting, but knowing that, if it doesn't feel right, you will be able to build something for yourself that feels right later. It, totally. it will come. Um, and this is this is also important for adults to recognize, especially those of us that work with young little ones yeah. around us, is that you can be that sustenance, that nutrients, that safe space, that sunlight for them. Mr. So Wobbles agrees. Mr. Mr. Wobbles is, is giving so much support He's right like, now. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. even though they might not be in the best circumstances for themselves now, you can still make it better. You can still yeah. be the hand to hold. You can still be the shoulder to cry on. You can still be the cheerleader in the stands. You can still be the one that's making this circumstance the best it can be, even if it's not perfect. Yeah. And help them realize that even though it is not perfect, those imperfections aren't their fault. Mm-hmm. That they are doing great as they are. They are fantastically made as they are. Um, yeah, there's that, nothing wrong with them. That They, yeah, they don't need to fix something within them to make themselves happy and flourish. A spider plant and an orchid need completely different sets of, of care. Oh, and orchids. <laughs> I've killed so many orchids. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, parents of Ali students, please stop giving her orchids. I will kill them. I'm doing my best. Um, yeah, I feel you. It's, it's like the absolute opposite of the quote, bloom where you're planted. Oh God, I hate that. <laughs> it's very good vibes only. We're oh, like, yeah. where it's just like, we're all going to have a good time and have fun. And it's, it's like, if you can't, something's wrong with you. And yeah, that's, it's the keep calm and carry on vibe. It's like, no, no, thank you. Be upset no. and find solutions. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to make a bunch of keep calm and carry on merch, but it just says, <laughs> Get upset and find solutions. Oh my God. Are you ready for uh, some rapid fire that is probably not going to be very rapid? Oh, yes. Okay. What's your favorite podcast at the moment, aside from this one, obviously? Um, okay. It's a Greek mythology podcast. God, that's so gay. I know. I know. Right? Greek mythology like, is gay. Greek mythology is gay. And I. That's a I gay special it. interest. Um, it really is. Um, but I honestly, like I, so I'm the kind of person that like needs noise to listen to in the shower. Um, same. Like otherwise I can't be silent. No, because then either my shower will take five minutes and I've forgotten to do half the things or it is now an hour and a half later and I'm wondering why the water is cold because time doesn't exist in the shower. So I need to play songs that I know how long they are. So I know how much time has passed. Yes, exactly. So, um, the podcast I listen to is called let's talk about myths, baby. Um, it's hosted by a woman named Liv. She lives in Canada. Amazing. Uh, and she is just like hyper feminist, destroy the patri- patriarchy. Let's look at all of the, like, like, let's look at what we can dismantle in these myths really quick. Um, and I just I cool. love listening to her talk. Uh, as usual, I will put a direct link to the Spotify, uh, link to that podcast in the show notes for anyone that wants to go listen. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your go-to comfort food right now? Uh, mac and cheese and has been for the last 20 years. Correct. Um, do you have <laughs> a specific, specifically craft? 
specifically Kraft mac and cheese. And I know a lot of people will argue with me about like, that's not real mac and cheese. I know it's not. It's like Panda Express. I am Chinese. I know that's not real Chinese food, but it's it's good for what it is. And Kraft mac and cheese is good for what it is. It is reliable. It is texturally the same every time. It is my autistic same food. Um, anytime Do you I have, have a shape that you prefer? Because um, the shapes I, taste different. They do. They do. I try to stick with the classic. Um, but when little I'm feeling elbows. little, uh, yeah, when I'm feeling a little bit spicy, I'll get spirals because I like the way we feel on my tongue. Ooh, okay. I haven't had spiral mac and cheese in a long time. Um, that's very cool. I used to be all about the, um, the like any sort of character shapes because I like the way that it caught the sauce. So it tasted different. I totally agree with that. Um, the elbows do the same thing. It, my, so I, I have, uh, hyper empathy, uh, autism. So my EQ is just annoyingly off the charts. And at some point my brain decided to be like, those little faces have feelings and I can't possibly shake it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, it, it, mm-hmm. I have cried into a bowl of mac and cheese. I think I was 12. Like I was, I was too old to be doing this. I was like yeah. 12 years old, cried into a bowl of character shaped mac and cheese because I couldn't eat it because they had feelings. When I, um, this was embarrassingly recent, like in the last <laughs> 10 years, um, I'll give, I'll give myself 10 years, be a little generous. Um, before I was like on meds and had therapy, um, I have Eggo buttermilk pancakes every morning, mm-hmm. every morning they come in sets of six. Um, and sometimes I guess the machine at the factory messes up and I only get five. That's very mm-hmm. concerning to me. Um, sometimes I get seven, which is totally fine. Cause I make them in like a little, um, like flower shape on my plate when I, yeah. and so you get a middle, you get a, a center for your flower. Correct. Um, however, uh, I was putting a little bit of butter on them in my parents' kitchen and one of them fell to the ground. Yeah. And the problem was that I, my mom was like, we'll just make one more. But no. then I fucked up the next set and I can't just eat five. And so crying, I had to throw all of them away and start over because I needed a complete set. Mm. Um, and that's awesome. Oh, yeah. um, oh my God, do you do the thing where it's like, if, if you have a set of something, um, like like if you're making vegetables, I did this when I was making Brussels sprouts fairly recently. One of them falls to the ground and you like break down because it's supposed to be with its friends and it has a purpose and it like wants to be with its friends to do the thing. And I've been working really yeah. hard on that. Oh. I used to only take... Um, a, uh, certain uh, like I could when I take sips of drink I can take any amount of sips it just can't be seven mm-hmm. um and so I I would always make sure and I've been like actively undoing that um for several years now and that is no longer a problem but just like proving to myself that it's okay if I don't count how many sips I take um but it's just a a, a need to feel like you have control over a world that is so out of your control um oh, yeah for any sense of stability. Um, okay. What is your favorite thing about yourself right now? If the first thing you think of is physical, you have to say it. There is no vanity on this podcast. It doesn't have to be though. I, um, I really like my smile and it's, I'm actually really curious. I'm really curious that that came to mind right now because I have the most polarizing opinions on my own smile I either am obsessed with it and think it's like the cutest little button thing or I absolutely hate it and want to like remove my own mouth from my face because I think it's the most disgusting lopsided thing like I'm, I'm really proud that this is a day where I decide I like my smile Great. um but yeah it's it's something that was pointed out to me when I was a kid that like one side of my mouth smiles more than the other and it's like a little crooked and it like made this whole spiral for a little while until one of my friends was like are you kidding you look like you you look like a tv character like something that was like like in the it, they just reframed it for me in this this way in middle school where it was like you you know you look like you'd be at the center with like all your friends around you and you've got your cute little quirky smile and I was like oh Oh, okay. And it's now been like the battle of the wills in my head. <laughs> you got to romanticize that shit. You really but do. sometimes you can't be the one that tells yourself that. You have to hear exactly. it from someone else because they are being more objective. Mm-hmm. 100%. No, that I needed to hear that from someone else. I could not tell myself that I liked my smile. It was just no. not going to happen. I like your smile. So there. Oh, and you. also as a photographer, it is my job to figure out what is aesthetically pleasing. So yeah. I'm correct. <laughs> that's my humble correct opinion um it's just like that's that's the end point right there 
Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, would you like any sort hello. Good morning. Do you want to share any sort of, uh, mutual aid or anywhere that you want to, uh, raise awareness or support before we figure out where people can find you? Oh, oh my gosh. So many. Um, but right now I would emphasize people's park in Berkeley. Um, people's park is a very, very near and dear, um, group of people in my heart. Um, I was part of the, uh, 2021 early occupation when they were going in to take the final soil samples they are trying the UC is trying to destroy the park and it currently is home to so many unhoused residents that are not getting the support that they need and uh, the UC continues to spread a lot of dangerous misinformation about the people living there and about the set of circumstances and like it's 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 horrible but I lived in the park with them as the on-site medic for over a month last year and I can tell you from the bottom of my heart that they are a caring wonderful, loyal, spirited, artistic, fantastic group of people who deserve their liberty, deserve their freedoms, deserve their independence, and deserve to be taken care of. So if you go on Instagram to defend People's Park, uh, mm-hmm. any way that you can support them, please do. Yeah, I'll put I'll put direct links in the, in the little show notes for everybody that wants to donate money or time or resources or anything that you have. Um, mm. Cool. And then where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram is usually the the easiest place uh, at Coco Lawson on Instagram. It's a lot of stories uh, posted about my cats and about funny things that my students have given me that day. Uh, but I love to reach out and meet, especially different people in the queer neurodivergent community. Um, yeah. I feel like we need to rely on each other and be able to open up to each other totally. um, and, and form those bonds. So always open to making new friends. Please understand if I don't respond immediately because I have the object permanence of a goldfish. Uh, so I will see, I, I have such a bad habit. My best yeah. friend in the entire world knows this. She will text me like four things and I will respond two days later because one of the four things made me laugh so hard I forgot that I had to text back. Oh, um, no. So object permanence with messaging is not great, but I promise that I will get back to it. Oh my God. Amazing. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for talking with me. I'm I'm so excited that you took the time. And um, everyone stay tuned. Ah, I just enjoy you so much. Um, we got another good one next week. Um, super, super exciting stuff. And I will see you all then. Say bye. 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 bye.